like to invite you to a soul level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. We've got another great treat for today's Song of the Soul. You'll be enjoying the music of and a visit with singer-songwriter Meg Hutchinson. Her music is great, her voice superb, and her thoughts and lyrics are poetic, deep, and insightful. So sit back for a soul-deep encounter with Meg Hutchinson. Meg joins us by phone from the Boston area. Meg, I'm delighted to have you here today for Song of the Soul. So wonderful to be joining you. You're over in Massachusetts. As we were talking earlier, you were complaining that you didn't really have winter. Are, are, is this a complaint, or do you wish that you had last year's snow? I loved last year. I have to admit, it had been a long time since I'd seen snowfall that rivaled when I was a kid, and it was amazing last year. I was actually looking at video this morning of my dog in the snow last year, and it was so deep she, she couldn't walk. <laughs> she had to bound through it. So I actually find myself, you know, the crocuses are coming up out here already, and it's a little eerie to have only had one snowstorm in October this year. It's just a little bit strange. I find that being a New England girl through and through, I I really count on those seasons. You know, they're a part of my inner landscape, my inner seasons as well. And and I'm finding I'm not quite ready for spring. I haven't paid my dues yet. I haven't done any shoveling, you know. Does it also detract from your music making, or does it just give you more somber music to play? I love hibernation, and I think it's easier to do when there's a ton of snow and the city gets quieter, you know, everything shuts down. I love that feeling when there's a big storm and and everyone kind of goes quiet for a day. So I've missed that. I've, I love walking around the streets right after snowfall here in, in Boston and even kind of the community sense you get when everyone's out and shoveling in the street and you actually get to talk to your neighbors, which is something we've lost in our modern cities. You know, we're all holed up in our in our houses right next door to each other or in the same apartment building and not learning anything about everybody else around us. And so I love the snow. It makes everyone get outside. And, and uh, here in Boston, actually, there's epic parking wars, which probably aren't good for neighbor relations. But other than that, it's fun. I see it bringing people together. Well, your music, I think, also brings people together. You've got a very, I'd say, meditative, deep side to your music. When did you start making music? It's hard to pinpoint a moment where that began. I mean, I remember as a little child, jumping up and down on my bed and, and making up songs. Like That was just something I did with my excess energy, I think. I went to a Waldorf school, which is a kind of alternative holistic education for the first eight years, and happened to have the music, the school music teacher as my main class teacher for all eight years. I think that had a real impact. And when I was in fifth grade, I inherited my grandmother's Martin guitar, and that also seemed like a sign that that was, you know, I, was, I had been taking guitar lessons for maybe less than a year, 
And it was a huge honor to receive this family heirloom, this 57 018 Martin. I felt like to honor my grandmother, who I'd never really gotten to know very well, I wanted to continue playing. So it was pretty early on, you know, that I was very, very drawn to music, very sensitive to it, actually. As a little kid, even if there was scary music, I could almost not take it. You know, music, I had no filter. It just went straight at my heart, I think. Any kind of music affected me really deeply. And what were your early musical influences? What was the music you grew up listening to? Well, my parents were right in the middle of the hippie era. They totally were immersed in that. So by the time they had us, we had the classic hippie record collection, you know, all the Dylan and all the Joni and Neil and Crosby, Stills, Nash, you know, the whole deal there. And so I grew up listening to those records and also people like Greg Brown. You know, I remember sitting in the back of my dad's car listening to Greg Brown and Kate Wolf and, and uh, John Gorka. And very early on, I was drawn to Red House Records as well. You've been with Red House Records for, I don't know, a handful of years or so. What was your connection before with music production? I was doing it independently. In my late teens, I started my own music company called Red Hen Music, and that was based on the children's story, The Little Red Hen. That was my early instinct, which was let me learn how to do this on my own and put out a few records and practice this art form and with any luck get to work with this organization that I really admire and Red House was always at the top of the list. I appreciated them because they seemed to always choose people who were real writers, you know, who really cared about lyrics and that was very important to me. So they were on my list for a very long time. But in the meanwhile, I put out three or four records on my own. So the very early one, I I have retired to an attic somewhere, and I don't think it'll see the light of day again, but it was a charming effort for a 17-year-old. I think I had the right level of innocence and kind of blind. Um, you know, I was very oblivious to criticism, which was a very useful tool early on. I would go and sing in local bars. They They let me have a Tuesday night gig in this bar full of construction workers, it happened to also be Dart League night, so every Tuesday I'd get up there and, and sing my little folk songs, and, and people would be drinking so heavily and playing darts that they, they didn't really notice <laughs> whether or not I was any good. <laughs> but if there was occasional ridicule, I managed to completely block it out, which served me well, I think. And what age were you doing this? Before you're legal to be in the space, right? Yeah, I wasn't drinking yet. Obviously, I was, just, I think, like 18. So yeah, I couldn't order beer, but I was hanging out there anyway. <laughs> well, start us off with some of your music. We'd like to hear it, and other people start to get an idea of who Meg Hutchinson is. What do you want to start with? Ah, good question. We can start with Travel In. I think that sets a good tone for the journey for our conversation. And why do you want to include Travel In in your Song of the Soul? It's a song that, for me, is a, is a reminder of the work that I'm doing in myself. And it's been increasingly challenging in a wonderful way for me to, to learn how to be still in myself while my career demands so much physical travel. I feel like I'm constantly moving in this current through airport and, and through rental car garages and across the highways in America and, and always in motion physically. And as I do that, the thing that I've been more and more drawn to is how to begin to travel towards the stillness in myself in, in the midst of that. And it's a wonderful juxtaposition to find my, my body moving through space this much and find that increasingly the real work for me becomes this journey towards the stillness. And one of the things that I really love 
uh, in some of the spiritual practice I'm doing is this concept of inner space being as vast as outer space. And I love that, that, that there's just, you know, infinite universes inside of us as well. And so as I fly around physically, I try to learn how to, to move into that, that still point in myself, that very vast stillness. Lake Michigan, Lake Erie, a thatchwork of fields, a flock of white birds tossed into the sky. Island corners of the night, checking in and checking out, and then I fly. Days stacked up on days, thunder in. Lightning flashing through the falling snow I sleep a shell of sleep And in a dream a little boy Runs toward the checkpoint White flag in his hand Can I thread my coat to yours And can we turn and turn and turn Can I stitch your sadness to the wind and let it go? We can build a little cabin on your little piece of land. We you curve your body against mine and let it rest? I learned the oneness of alone. I learned to call this motion home.
Travel In. Meg Hutchinson's with us here today for Song of the Soul. It's a wonderful reminder, Meg. And I'm sure that there's a lot of people that forget that there's that inner space. The outer world does such a good effort trying to grab our attention at every moment, programming us with thinking, doing something, you know, just... Were you raised, I mean, you mentioned having hippie parents. Was there any kind of a, you know, no TV in the living room or other things that kind of set you up for aspiring to this uh, centered space? Absolutely. We never owned a TV, (laughs) not even for videos. We never had one. Uh, I remember my parents rented us a TV and VCR when we had whooping cough. And we got whooping cough because they didn't vaccinate us. You know, they, I think they got off tetanus, but they, they didn't get it any of the other shot. They believed that there was a place for some of these childhood illnesses in one's own kind of transformation and, and incarnation. And, you know, whooping cough was hell, but it changed me. It definitely changed me. Mostly it changed me because I was out of school for three months, basically, and I found a a real quiet in myself that I hadn't known prior to that. But yeah, we grew up with very little interaction uh, with mainstream culture, and you know, we had a radio, but most of my childhood memories involved hanging out in the woods behind my parents' house. There was a stream and several ponds in the beautiful area of woods where I dwelled as a child, you know, digging new channels for the streams out there and building elaborate fort. I look at it now and it's just this kind of swampy kind of <laughs> not not a terribly beautiful patch of land, but as a child it was just miraculous. And, you know, we had this game, swamp hopping, where you put on your big boots and you try to to hop over the mucky water from one clump of trees to the next. And it was fantastic. You know, we'd, come, we'd come home just completely splattered in <laughs> in mud. But that, that rich net contact, I think, with, with the planet, you know, with the elements as a kid was really beautiful. And, and I think it's harder and harder for kids to have access to. So I think that's something I'm always going to be grateful for that my parents gave me tons of unstructured time as a kid, you know, and I think there are a lot of parents who are getting this message that they're supposed to be, you know, shipping their kids off to activities all day long to give them a head start on life. And really, I think one of the best head starts we can possibly get is space and room for our imagination and room for developing a sense of an inner life as a child before the demands of and responsibilities of growing up descend on us. To really be a child and, and see the world through your own lens is precious. And that's something, you know, that, that definitely influenced my life. And I think it's something I'm moving back towards now. And it's not an aspiration that much of our society values yet, which is, I think, very much to the impoverishment of our society, which is also, of course, why I do Song of the Soul and why I do it the way I do it, where we have conversations instead of sound bites. And so... I'm so glad to welcome you to that because it's obviously already your native habitat. It's a real treat. Music has always been, for me, at its core, a spiritual practice. Before I even had a spiritual practice of my own, the music served that meditative role. And you're right, so often in interviews in these past years, I've touched lightly on the spiritual part of it, but been delicate, because I think that's a very sensitive topic in our culture at this particular time. 
maybe it's always been true, but it, it feels to me that there's heightened fear about spirituality right now because we see the ways when it's taken to an extreme that it can be so devastating. And so this is a real delight to get to actually focus on it for an hour here and, and, and just talk about what's underneath the, the music for me. Well, speaking of the music, let's have another song, and I'm pretty sure we're going to start seeing your spiritual reality reflected through the lyrics of your song. So number two for your Song of the Soul will be? Let's listen to Yea Though We Walk. If I'm going to make a guest up front just from the name, that sounds awfully like something from the 23rd Psalm. But <laughs> but I'm not sure that that's where we're going, because I, I know enough about you to know otherwise. <laughs> I'm certainly referencing the psalm in it. This song started for me flying over the Midwest in wintertime. There's freshly fallen snow, looking down at all the farms that are very desolate at that time of year, as you know. I was landing in Omaha. We flew in so low over the prisons there that are right next to the to the airfield that I could actually make out the forms of all the inmates who were out in the courtyard at that moment. And I was really struck by what that must be like for them to, to be in a prison next to an airport and have constant motion of, of travel and people getting away, you know, going over them all the time when they're in the courtyard. I was very struck by that, how that was a reflection for all of us in ways, you know, that we're, we're all in, in some sense trapped within these certain limits that we've set. So the song, I think for me, is a exploring compassion and exploring this idea of we're none of us in it alone, you know. I mean, I'm, of course, referencing without saying it, you know, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadows of death, you know, I'm without actually saying those words, you know, in the chorus saying, Oh, my friend, is that your hand in mine? This valley grows darker each time. And thinking about how we can all remind each other that when we're going through that, that darkness, that we're not alone. So let's sit down and listen to Meg Hutchinson's song, Yea, Though We Walk. And as we do that, just picture yourself hand in hand with that extra something. Cold morning in the Midwest Winter earth in a wedding dress Sun creeping over those blue angels of death So much corn and loss and God Hold a good book tight for fear the fields will swallow you at night Your hand in mine, this 
my new neighbor. He watches me in my garden. Silhouette in the window, so terrible and handsome. If I turn away, if I watch him carefully, will I not fall in love today? Oh, my friend, is that your hand in mine? This valley grows darker each time. Oh, my friend, so seems made from such a thread. No matter how it tears, it always tries to mend. Do. Meg Hutchinson is with us here today for Song of the Soul. You are listening to Song of the Soul, which is a Northern Spirit Radio production. I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and our website is northernspiritradio.org. We've got more than six and a half years of archives on the site, all kinds of musicians and other activists and people doing good work in the world, inner and outer. You'll also find links to our guests, like Meg Hutchinson. Her website is meghutchinson.com. Or follow the link, again, from northernspiritradio.org. And also post comments when you visit. That's how we rate our shows. And you can look who's been most popular, who's had the most listeners over the nearly seven years we've been at work. Meg Hutchinson here with us. And that song was Yea Though We Walk. Obviously the 23rd Psalm, but I have a feeling that your practice is not necessarily Christian-oriented, though I suppose it could be. Where do you center yourself these days? I've been always drawn to Buddhist practice and Buddhist philosophy, but it's only been in the last two and a half years that I've actually been really practicing as a Buddhist and studying. So that's where my core practice is. But as a kid, I was definitely surrounded by you know, some elements around the Waldorf schools are, are very Christian. And, and I went to actually went to Christian community camp as a kid. My parents didn't go to church regularly, but I, I'd have to ask them what their thoughts were behind sending me or letting me go to that camp. All my friends were going. And it had a very wonderful kind of sacred feel to it. But they raised us to have confidence in finding our own spiritual path and and discovering what would resonate. And the Buddhist practice has been that way for me. There's something that that touches me on a very deep level. Do you have a community? Do you have a daily practice? How does that work for you? I do. I actually, for a number of years, was on a path near my home, would walk past a a Buddhist monk. And every time there was this moment as I would walk past him where everything would become still. (laughs) It was was uncanny. There was just this moment of like, suddenly there was was more air. There was something just kind of opened up. And I was very fascinated by that and never spoke to this monk at, at that point. Several years later, you know, after I'd been seeing him many times, a friend, actually Chris Harmon, who produced my records, had been invited out to dinner with a Tibetan Lama, and he asked me if I wanted to go, and I said, oh, I would love to. I, I actually can't go tonight. I have another meeting, but that sounds so wonderful. And 
And lo and behold, I, I went into Harvard Square that night to meet up with this music agent and walked right past the open window of a restaurant where my producer was seated with this Tibetan Lama. And I crossed the street and Crit said to me, you know, this is Lama Mi'kmaq. And I said, I've been passing you for years on the path near my house. And I was just so <laughs> delighted that it was just the same being who I had thought was, was just a monk, you know, who turned out to be this absolutely wonderful, wonderful teacher. And that confirmed what, whatever that, that reaction I'd had in, in passing him for all those years, that it was absolutely confirmed in that moment that this is, this is the teacher that I'm supposed to be working with. When I look back at those years of walking past him, I know I wasn't ready to really begin practicing. I think I had a lot more suffering to do to, to actually be ready. I think I, I had a lot more darkness that I needed to, to go through and that would kind of crack me open enough to be perhaps humbled enough to begin that work. And so I think I met my teacher at the right moment. And it's been very, very rich and wonderful time in the years since. So do you have a community that you're a part of? You've got a teacher, evidently, and you're located in Boston now, so I suppose you have some options easily available. Yeah, we do. We have a wonderful sangha here in Boston, and, and I practice with them a couple times a week usually. So that's been wonderful to have a community of people to practice with. You know, one of the features of Christian practice is when you become part of a church, at least theoretically, and I think in many cases actually, the church looks out for its members as well as the members, of course, looking out for the church, that there's a symbiosis there. Do you feel like you get that kind of care from the Sangha that you're part of now? Is that Does it extend to personal, or is it only together for the teachings? I haven't been part of a Sangha myself at all. I've been Quaker for the last 30 years, so I didn't have the opportunity to explore that kind of thing in depth. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, certainly within Buddhist practice, there is still a real emphasis on the individual journey and the individual practice. And we're there certainly as a support in each other's practice, but it, it, it's still ultimately about our own our own work. So it's not the kind of thing where there are many, many functions. You know, I think churches tend to have more social functions or or gatherings. And when we're there, we're generally quiet. We're there to meditate and to practice and to study but there's certainly a, a sense that everyone is looking out for each other if someone's sick or, you know, if someone has lost someone in their family, you know, certainly there's that feeling of a network of people looking out for you. But yeah, it's, I think with Buddhist practice, it's it's not, at least in the Sakya school of Tibetan Buddhism that I'm studying, you know, there's there's a real focus on the studies themselves. Obviously, this spiritual journey, this spiritual growing and depth that you've been involved with reflected through your music. I'm pretty sure that the next song you pick is going to have something to do with it one way or another, and I have even no idea which one you're going to pick. What is it? We could listen to something else, the song Something Else. <laughs> What's Something Else about? This is a song that was really fun to work on in the studio because we kind of treated it as this very playful, whimsical circus kind of feel when we when we produced it. 
But it's a song about, you know, mending this giant delicate web I talk about as my image of the mind, you know, that after you go through something very, very difficult, you know, a dark night of the soul, which is something I had certainly experienced a number of years ago, there's this sense of it taking a while to mend that pathway again, to make all those little connections solid again in that web, whether you call them, you know, synapses or... (laughs) or think of it as this kind of net in your mind. And so the song is is about that. But I I found that I couldn't go straight from the events that had really cracked my life open into the spiritual practice. I had to do some of the basic foundational mending before I could begin. But there's something kind of playful in this song, too. I I love it. It's kind of this, this lurching little waltz talking about how ultimately my real goal would be to sing a song that didn't even have any words in it. You know, I'd love to give people back the silence in their lives. I'd love to give someone permission to buy my record and have 45 minutes of silence and feel validated that that was something they had earned and bought and deserved and sort of actually giving people that silence. I wrote this song. This is kind of my little closing trailer. Something Else by Meg Hutchinson. Turn inside out
song is something else and it's by meg hutchinson ah emptiness beautiful emptiness and silence it sounds like in your childhood you were brought up with some of that was your family musical was i mean you you mentioned all the hippie records they had there but were they also sing-along get together Uh, was this guitar from your grandmother something that people would play at family gatherings yeah my parents sang to us a lot when we were children. They sang really good lullabies. And I remember my mom always humming and playing the recorder. And she told me the other day that the minute we became more musical than, than she was, <laughs> she became shy and she said she stopped singing as much because she thought she wasn't as good. Which was so, I, I said, oh my, I wish I'd known that. I hope we didn't make you feel bad because we were just kind of precocious kids and we did a lot of music in the Waldorf school and but in our extended family, on my mother's side, her brother played music all the time. And that was a really big part of when her whole family would gather. My uncle Peter would play every night that we were all together. And that was very powerful to me as a kid because it was a real symbol of, of what happened when a family came together. And on my father's side, his family was out in California, and I really didn't get to see them very much. But my grandmother taught guitar lessons. And then my father's brother is very musical. And when I went out to visit when I was 10, he played songs with me. I remember singing uh, Sloop John B. with him and tearing up a little bit because I, it was just a recognition of, oh, you're my family too. You know, and this is, again, uh, music having this strong kind of symbolism within a family gathering. So that, you know, on both sides definitely made a, a deep impression on me. Share another piece from your repertoire with us, if you would. Let's listen to Seeing Stars. Bugs out on the water Make it look like rain Leaves on every tree Once again turning Summer's past But it's never far If you look real close You might see scars with me Yeah, me seeing stars Evening light on a gravel path Could be scared but I've had enough of that old big old moon rising up Even in this light you might see scars with me Yeah, me, I'm only seeing stars When they take everything you got Nothing left out Deer in the headlights In a hospital bed Just dreaming of a simple life A gentleman, a solid night Me in the dark down at the Reservoir, if you look real close, you might see scars with me. Yeah, me, I'm only seeing stars. 
Seems all your songs are about leaving Seems both your hands are about now Geese up in the sky, home through the dark If you look real close, you might see scars with me Yeah, me, I'm only seeing stars Me Yeah, me, I'm only seeing stars Meg Hutchinson seeing stars. We didn't say anything about seeing stars before it started. I want to let people have their own reaction to it. And everybody perhaps has fixed in their head what that might be about. But in your head, Meg, what's it about? This is the only song that literally came to me without any effort or premeditation. It came to me in about 10 minutes on a a walk with my dog around a reservoir north of Boston. It was a beautiful night, and the little water bugs were out on the surface of the water across this whole reservoir. And you know how that just makes enough of a, a ripple on the top of the water that it almost looks like when raindrops are falling onto a lake. For me, it was a song about choosing to let the pain transform me towards something brighter instead of letting the pain overwhelm me. I had just come out of the most difficult year of my life and was very early in, in the process of trying to heal from that. And that song became this almost mantra to myself of, I'm going to choose to keep looking up at the sky. And there was just that simple moment of recognition in myself that I wanted to let the pain of what I had just been through start to transform me instead of focusing on the the metaphoric scars that were very fresh still at that time. You know, I think we really are presented with this choice when we go through something difficult of whether to turn all our focus onto this fixed scar of whatever that experience was or to see it as a chance to start looking beyond ourselves. I think pain can give us an opportunity to feel a lot closer to everything around us instead of separating us from it, but it can be difficult to make that conscious choice to do that, you know, to suddenly feel less alone in the world because of that pain, because you're able to recognize the very real pain of of creatures around you, you know, instead of, you know, or be able to just recognize the truth of suffering and to, to let it open your heart instead of make you grow more callous or more shut down. And that was a choice, I guess, that I was making, but that song The other tidbit I'll add to it is that two years after I wrote that on the dog walk, the day I learned my beloved dog had cancer and we were taking her in for surgery, we got a royalty check for that song and it paid for her whole surgery. And it had been, I guess, playing on satellite radio for those two years and we had no idea. It's turned into this make-a-wish fund for my dog and... She's now lived for three years. They told me she'd live for a couple months. And every time we get a check for the song we, I think we co-wrote together on that, our favorite lake, I take her on another camping, hiking, swimming trip. And that's, it's her song too now. It's become the way that I think about her process and not just mine. Meg, you address something there that I think our society would benefit from knowing about. And that is that when we have pain in our lives, we have a choice. And the normal, uh, I think the answer that's handed to us from every corner of our society is medicate. 
shut it down, hide it away, drown it out. And it's a blessed experience to hear of your taking in that pain and lifting it up and finding the noble truth in it. I think I have to add also that there, you know, I've already set the stage saying I grew up with this, you know, homeopathic hippie parents that didn't even vaccinate us. And I have to also add to that, though, that in my own particular journey, I've had to very delicately navigate the intersection of Eastern and Western and medication versus spiritual growth, that there is an important role for each. And I just want to make that clear here. I do a lot of advocacy work for mental health issues, and I don't want to imply in any sense that we don't sometimes need help. You know, you don't tell someone with diabetes, like, sorry, you know, transcend this spiritually. You can't have influence. There is a place and there's a time when we also do whether it's just to stabilize us through a certain time or whether it's something that we may need to find a balance with ongoing. We're very lucky that things are are advancing in the field of, of mental health treatment. Sadly, that I think what you said before is very, very true in our culture, that we're extremely quick to medicate instead of looking at underlying causes and that we're very often confusing circumstantial sadness or grief or or pain with the other, which is a very physiological issue, you know, where sometimes the wiring is just not working out the way it's meant to, you know, and this is something I I talk about a lot. I do some keynote speaking and some workshops and, and talk about trying to navigate that balance in life of knowing when you have to take something that could be life-threatening um, very, very seriously, but also trying to always figure out what an experience of profound pain or anguish has to teach us and how we figure out how to not get in the way of that inner work by numbing ourselves. You know, if your arm's been cut off and you're you're bleeding, you have to take care of that in order to continue doing your spiritual practice. And I think sometimes there are mental health crises that are that acute that you have to first tend to the, the physiological issue in order to stabilize and, and then be able to do the inner development and the inner growth that ultimately really can rewire some of those pathways and move you towards, I think, greater independence in your own work. And certainly there have been wonderful studies. I think Madison right there in your home state has has done a lot of great studies of putting monks into MRIs and seeing how their, their actual brains have been altered by years of meditation. And science is now able to really prove and accept that that phenomenon is happening. So that's very interesting, I think, for all of us who care about mental health. We've been covering such a fabulous amount of territory spiritually, Meg, that I don't think we can include all the songs that we had anticipated perhaps including. So out of those three that are remaining, I think we have time for one. Let's mention the names of two of them and so people can go listen to them. MegHutchinson.com is a place where they can track down music about you, of course, all the other places, iTunes, etc. But which two do we have to drop and which one shall we include? So these other two that had made it to my short list of spiritually themed songs, really it was funny as I tried to go through my songs and, and pick ones, they all for me feel spiritual at their core, whether or not the utter message is particularly obvious. For me, I realized more and more that these are all coming from very similar work in myself. Whole Bird is a song from the record Come Up Full, and for me that's a song about 
trying to see the infinite in the tiny details in life and starting to learn that instead of reaching all around me and kind of grabbing at the world in order to understand the things, what if I just slow down and start looking at one little detail and try to figure out if I can see the universe. The other song we were going to include was called Full of Light, and that's off of my recent album, The Living Side. And that I actually borrowed a quote from Rumi for the chorus. He says, search the darkness, don't run from it. The night traveler is full of light. And I love that idea. You know, first of all, in a literal sense, I'm usually the night traveler. I'm always <laughs> moving around after shows. And But metaphorically, I love this idea of going right through the center of what scares us instead of dodging it instead of trying to get around it because we realize you know that the harder we try to get away from it <laughs> the more effort we put into that the more exhausted we get you know really to just stop and turn around and go wow this scares me and to move right into the center of it i am finding in my own life that that's less exhausting than trying to run away from it which is fascinating it's not what i had considered and I spent many years, I think, running as hard as I could away from depression. And, and now to turn and look at it and go, oh, wow, okay, you're not going to destroy me. And there's richness in this, you know. So, yeah, people can find those two songs and the lyrics to them on my website. And I think that by process of elimination, as the crow flies is what's up. And why did you want to include this one? I wanted to close with this one because it feels like a prayer to me, maybe more than some of the others in, in its simplicity. But it's a song about choosing to remain vulnerable and, and open in your life when something is breaking you open instead of shutting down in, in the face of that. And I think vulnerability is something I used to really abhor. <laughs> you know, it's, I thought of it as a weakness. You know, I did everything in my power to not be a vulnerable person. And what I'm finding very interesting in my spiritual work is that the courage to be vulnerable is one of the greatest things that we can work on, you know, really to to realize that it's not a failure to be a vulnerable, open person, but really it's quite the opposite. It's a courageous thing to learn how to do and allows us to actually begin to figure out how to love people or, most importantly, you know, love ourselves which I think is necessary before we can start letting go of ourselves. You know, first we have to have a level of acceptance before we can start moving, you know, doing the dismantling project with the ego. And I, I think I touched on that in this song also of uh, let me bring down this castle that I built long ago. Let me tear off this crown of mine, come down from my window. And I didn't know, I think, at the time when I wrote that what that was about. But for me now it become an image of breaking apart the ego you know, I spent a lot of years being really focused on my ambitions and my outer successes and really culture, which is like just build up that ego more and more and, and gather more accolades and be, have more and more of a self in the world, you know. And I'm finding that I'm less and less interested in that now, that my idea of ambition is shifting. My idea of what success means is really shifting. And so I'm trying now to start tearing off that crown of the egos, starting to try to figure out how I how to pull apart that castle, you know, and when the song at the end is, is saying, you know, let me open this heart again wider than the sky. 
that's something that is a line that goes through my head a lot. Back to the inner space theme again, you know, how to find that depth and that space in ourselves as a result of, of going through something difficult and starting to let it rework us and transform us. And so that's my, my little prayer and my my hope of, you know, as the crow flies is, of course, this term we all use for getting somewhere directly. And uh, my, my hope is to learn how to love in that direct way instead of down in the maze of our lives where we're just kind of always getting a little lost and sidetracked. We send you off for today's Song of the Soul with Meg Hutchinson. The song is As the Crow Flies. Meg, it's so wonderful to meet you in this deep place. Thank you so much for sharing your Song of the Soul. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you. As the Crow Flies, Meg Hutchinson. Let me love as the crow flies Though we live in a maze Let me wake up each morning It's my only day Let me go Let me go Let me go Let me bring down castle that I built long ago let me tear off this crown of mine come down from my
The theme music for Song of the Soul is by Chris Williamson, and it's called Song of the Soul. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and this is a Northern Spirit Radio production. You can listen to this program again, track down the list of songs included, and a whole lot more on my website, northernspiritradio.org. And I invite you to share your Song of the Soul with my listeners. Just contact me via my website. And please, join me weekly for Song of the Soul. You can be happy.